Good morning. God is good. You know, it's, a, it's so funny, man. It's it, Following Jesus, you just never know what he has for you day to day. And uh, a proof of that is this morning. Up until about, I could say, an hour and 50 minutes ago, I was ready to get our girls up and get with the wife real quick and get in the car and head off to church. And instead, here we are hanging out with you guys. And it's cool. I don't know about you guys. And, and I'll just say, you know, uh, I'm a routine guy, but I do love the occasional, you know, curveball and a little bit of uh, randomness. And so uh, blessed to be here with you guys this morning. Uh, on behalf of everybody at Calvary Corvallis, thank you guys for for calling. Uh, we're praying for Pastor Terry. Uh, again, the situation and circumstances aren't ideal, but the result is we get to come show love and support uh, another uh, church body. We see us all as one body, God's body, God's church, and uh, we just happen to gather in different places. So Plus, this is only 10 minutes away from my house, so nice and convenient to shoot over here, you know. So thank you guys again for having us on behalf of uh, Pastor Rob and everybody. This morning, uh, I would ask you guys, if you have your Bibles, to open up to 1 Timothy chapter 4. Took a brief look uh, on the drive over, not while I was driving, but during the course of the drive, probably at a red light. Uh, you guys have been in the Gospel of Luke, and man, we're doing that too over at, at in Corvallis, and I just felt... Uh, the, the God leading to leave that for Pastor Terry or Pastor Tanner. Uh, congratulations, by the way, on all the transition going on here. That's a, a sweet thing. I love Brother Tanner and excited to see what God does here, uh, continues to do here through him. But uh, I just felt this piece about leaving Luke for them to pick up when they get back. Uh, and, and today kind of just go off course a little bit to uh, the book of First Timothy. So First Timothy 4 verses 12 through 16 is where we'll be camping out today. And as you guys turn there, I want to pray in just a second. But before that, I just want to give uh, a little bit of a backstory to to who uh, what the story that God's written through my life. And, and again, um, I just want to say this. I introduce myself so we're familiar with each other. But the name that everyone needs to walk away from every church every Sunday remembering is Jesus. I can honestly forget sometimes to tell people my name because I don't care about anybody remembering my name. The point is Jesus. The answer is Jesus. The reason is Jesus. The source is Jesus. The glory goes to Jesus. The credit goes to Jesus. The story is written by Jesus. The end result is Jesus. The beginning was Jesus. And so Jesus, Jesus, Jesus is what I hope you guys will walk away from today. But I do think it's, it's helpful to know, you know, what knucklehead is sharing God's word with you so you know God truly and consistently uses the least of these in order to perform his work so that he can get all the glory. And so uh, my name, Jake Moivau, uh, 42 years old. Uh, as you can see, still dressed like a teenager. Um, but you know what? I love that God looks at our the insides of us. And you know, when I got saved 13 years ago at Calvary Corvallis, um, I was dressed just like this. And something, a weird conviction God put on my heart said, Jake, as I grow you and as I show you where to go, I don't want you changing your appearance just because you're growing. I want you to stay the same. I want you ball capping it. I want you blue jeans and hoodies. That way, people that come into these churches that you're at and they see you, they're comfortable coming as they are. And so even the way that I dress, uh, it's cost effective first. But the other thing is, it just, I believe Jesus came in the form of man in order to relate. And so my conviction is, 
I'm going to dress how I dress. And even if I go preach at a men's conference and brother Nick and brother uh, Tanner and, and even, uh, 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 pastor, I forgot his name right now, but, uh, he, they can attest like, this is just how it is. And, and so, um, yeah, originally from Southern California, I, I do want to share this because I thought it was so interesting. I got to talk briefly with your pastor at Shepherd the Flock at the pastor's conference. And I find out we're from the same hometown originally. And, and I'll be honest with you guys, I had never met a white person from Carson, California. <laughs> and here we are. Pastor McNabb is from Carson. And I was like, at first, I was like, get out of here. Hey, none but Mexicans, Filipinos, Samoans, and black people in Carson. And he's like, nope, Carson High, class of so-and-so. So I just think it's funny how God brings us all together and in and out. And then fast forward the tape to 2009, and here he would pluck a Samoan guy from Southern California and and have a, a white farmer family and a white banker family and a white pastor and his family take me in, lead me to Jesus, and then disciple me for the last 13 years. So uh, another point I love about the gospel is that he races all color lines because God don't care about, you know, what color we are. He cares about our hearts. And so uh, I just think that that's uh, funny. I, I do, I am married to a beautiful woman. She's not feeling well this morning, so she stayed home with our girls. Um, uh, we got a four-year-old and a two-year-old. Four-year-old thinks she's 12, and the two-year-old thinks she's eight, and you know how it goes. But um, we're right in the thick of it, if you will. But I thank God for the gift of being uh, married and a father. I'm convinced. I heard a quote from some other wiser person than I. They said, you never realize how selfish you are until you get married. And then you don't realize how selfless you can be until you have kids. Man, that quote was truer than I realized when I heard it. And uh, But I thank God for a godly wife. My mentors told me to pray that God would allow me to marry out of my league. I can check that box. I can check that box. And uh, last thing I just want to say, because I usually do honor my wife when she's present, is we've been married nine years, five months, and five days to this day. And outside of Jesus... Jess is the best thing that ever happened to me. She was more mature in her walk with the Lord when we met. She's still more mature in her walk with the Lord now. And coming up in August, we're going to celebrate 10 years of, of, of marriage. And, and as a guy that came from a single parent home, and my parents were only married, I believe, for eight years. One of God's biggest graces on my life is that we've already got to move past that point, and we're only growing more in love with each other. And I know it's because we fall more in love with Jesus. I see it kind of like two people going up different sides of a pyramid. Like as we move towards Jesus, he brings us closer together. And that's not just in marriage, but in every relationship. And I just thank God for the gift, the precious gift of my wife, letting her knucklehead husband, she never knows what's going to get across my phone on a Sunday morning. And she's like, honey, go. You're supposed to go, go. And I just thank God because without her being willing to do what God has placed on her heart, including loving and nurturing our girls, I couldn't do what I do. I couldn't coach football at San Diego Christian. I couldn't lead a nonprofit youth outreach in South Corvallis. I just want to give so much honor uh, and glory to God, but also to my wife because it's, it's, she's a pivotal part in this. Wives, uh, you're a blessing. Husbands, if you're not treating your wife like a blessing, that's another message that we'll get into later. Um, but there's some correction in store. So with that being said, I want to pray real quick and then we'll jump right into the text of First uh, Timothy 4, verses 12 through 16. Father, this is your holy word. And we just ask that you would share 
what you want to share with us. Empty me of me, fill me with you. And I pray, Lord, that your people would be strengthened and encouraged today by the sharing of your word in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. I'm going to read the text first, and then we'll go back and dissect it here. Verse 12, 1 Timothy 4, Let no one despise your youth, but be an example to believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Till I come, give attention to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given to you by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the eldership. Meditate on these things. Give yourself entirely to them, that your progress may be made evident to all. Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Continue in them. For in doing this, you will save both yourself and those who hear you. Now, I'm sure everyone in here, if not uh, everyone, most of us in here are familiar with this relationship between Paul and Timothy. And one of the things that's been uh, really pressed upon the heart of our church in Calvary Corvallis and I believe God's trying to stir up more of around the world is the intentional focus on discipleship. Paul and Timothy, perfect example of that. Timothy was young. Most Bible scholars believe a teenager, early teenager, when Paul scooped him up and started training him, investing in him, taking him with him, doing life with him. And I want to encourage us all, if we do nothing else practically for Jesus, let us do these two things. Let us love our families and let us make disciples of Jesus. Paul and Timothy are a great picture of that. You guys can dive into that. I encourage a study in that if you haven't already. But man, this is one of the letters in which a coach, essentially I see, I see discipleship as coaching. And even at 42 years old, I want to be honest with you guys, I've got a whole cast. I have a whole coaching staff that help keep me in line, that help invest in me. Um, respectfully, I want to say this, no matter how old you are or how long you've been walking with the Lord, you don't know it all. I have no problem as a 300-pound Samoan guy saying that to you. Don't care who you are. We don't know it all. We need community. And if you're sitting there and you're hearing this and you hear, like, I don't know it all, and you have a problem with that statement, let's get together. I want to pray for you. You got bigger things than discipleship going on. We need to stay humble and realize we need to be trained until Jesus comes back or until he takes us home. There is no finish line this side of heaven. We all need community. We need it for the, for the sharpening. Iron sharpens iron. We need it for the encouragement. When things happen, life occurs, challenges hit us, we're down. We need brothers and sisters to pick us up. We were not built to be in isolation, which is why we're here this morning. We need community for the good and the bad, for the hard and the easy, to celebrate in the mountaintops and to pray for in the valleys. We need each other, and that includes discipleship. And so I've committed, not just because it's how I was saved, but because I've seen the fruit in it, I've committed that I will never stop meeting with elders in order to make sure I'm doing well, in order to pray for me, offer up life experience that I don't have. How can we be experts in things that we've not yet experienced? I might know a little bit about parenting now that we're five years in, but I don't know nothing about being a grandparent, hence I need people that are grandparents to train me for the next season of life. Amen? And then we all have things like that. And let me just squeeze this in here as God's downloading these things. I encourage us all, don't fall for the trap that age or experience 
automatically equates to, to wisdom. Some of the people that have taught me the most about God's word are younger than me. And I'm not prideful, too prideful to know that and to accept that. You know, there's one uh, brother, his name's Daniel Chen. He's serving over at Northside Christian Church now. The brother's 10 years younger than me. But he was discipled and trained in the word so well that early in, the, in my walk with the Lord, God used him a lot to teach me about the word. And if I'd have held on to this mentality that I see going around of like, man, this, young, this dude's younger than me. He can't teach me nothing. I'd have missed out on a whole bunch of stuff. That's why I love how Paul starts this letter. Do not let anybody despise your youth. The other side of that statement is, man, don't be so prideful in, in our age, in our experience, that we can't learn from people in a different season in their walk. God's trying to constantly teach us. The question for us is, are we humble enough to see it? So I just want to exhort you guys, don't despise people's youth, especially when you see God's hand on somebody's life, someone that loves Jesus, someone that knows his word. It's okay to learn from people. I don't know if that's an American thing or what, but I know I'm a Samoan and raised in Samoan culture. There's this hierarchy, right? You never talk back to your elders, right? You never disagree with your elders. I think there's some health to respect eldership. But if there's no communication or relational connection or openness to communicate two ways, I don't think that's biblical. And I'm saying that because there's no Samoans here outside of my family here and they agree with me. So, but um, I just want to put these pieces in front of you guys that as we work through this, this section of this letter, man, I love this relationship between Paul and Timothy. And Paul, his coach, is telling this Timothy, his student, he's encouraging him. And anything, anybody that's ever studied anything about Timothy, it sounds a lot like he struggled regularly with timidity, with insecurity, with fear. I don't know about you guys, but I struggle with all these things. I don't know what God wants to do tomorrow. I, I, I get fearful about providing for a family. I'm like, God, man, if you want me to make money for my family, why do you keep calling me into ministry jobs? Right? One thing you guys got to know, man, I just keep it real, and you're going to hear it. <laughs> it's just no filter. But I wrestle with these things. I say, God, I want four times a year vacations to parts of Mexico I can't spell. And he's like, didn't I give you a camp in Lincoln City the other year? <laughs> and so he's teaching me through his provision. And I jokingly, I say that, but in all honesty, God has blessed me with a life that I could not have imagined. Mostly through the relationships in his body. Through this family that he grafted me into that, that invited this Samoan guy at 29 years old to come live with them. 13 years ago, these families huddled around me, found out about my criminal background and went to court with me, paid tens of thousands of dollars in legal fees for me, have never asked for a penny back. And when I asked them and pleaded with them to figure out, let's set up a, a contract or something in which I could repay you or show my appreciation and gratitude for you, you know what they've told me time after time after time? Dick, pay it forward. When God puts the opportunity in front of you, Jake, pay it forward. Why in the world would somebody pick up a phone an hour and a half before they're about to go to church, completely retool the day, and head over to another church to preach? Because I'm grateful for what God did 
for me through those families. And part of me paying it forward is preaching his word. And so I love that the gospel, when we obey it, it has this reciprocating love that goes out everywhere we go. And I love that in this section of Paul's letter to Timothy, we see how that works practically right at the very end. But I want to encourage us along the way, just like Paul encouraged Timothy. He says, do not let anybody despise your youth, but be an example to believers in conduct and in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Brothers and sisters, we're not called just to be theologians who can quote the Bible on the drop of a dime. Any person with a brain can study words and then regurgitate them on cue, right? Jesus tells us in the Gospels, let your light so shine before men that they would see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Theology that isn't practiced isn't solid theology at all. And trust me when I say, without going into details, I spend a lot of time with very intellectual Bible scholars. And I'm grateful for the people that have given their lives to studying this word. But the reality is, if we're not loving like Jesus, what good is it to know the words? You know, in my personal devotions, I'm in the, in the Gospel of Luke. I finished up Matthew and Mark, and now I'm in Luke. And something that's been coming uh, to my attention more than any other time in my walk in 13 years is how much time Jesus in his three years of main ministry uh, between the ages of 30 and 33, how much time he spent rebuking religious people. I don't know about you guys, but I'm like, oh man, we sang that song earlier. By the way, the sister that was singing on this microphone, I think it's Cass, wherever you are. Cass. It's coming from a dude from the inner city in LA. There's a lot of people that can sing. Sis, you can sing. <laughs> Where I come from is that, man, that girl got pipes. And that's a compliment. So anyways, rabbit trail. Another thing about me, I'm easily distracted. Um, (laughs) But I just want to exhort us all, we have to live this gospel out. I believe this, and I'm praying every day that God would help grow uh, myself and my family and our church in this. Is that we're more concerned with how we're loving like Jesus then we are sounding like Jesus. I'm going to say that one more time because I feel like it's a word for you guys here too. We should be more concerned with loving like Jesus than we are sounding like Jesus. One of the specific rebukes that has stood out in the Gospels to me is when he stood there and in front of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, he said, whitewashed tombs. You wash the outside of the cup, but you neglect the inside. And I was thinking, you know, earlier I was joking about my appearance. Man, how many times are we tempted to, like, put on this, I'm all good, I'm Christian, I don't don't say bad words, I don't listen to certain music. We, We have the tendency, our human nature is to show, put on this, like, this costume, right, of godliness. Here's the thing I find silliest about that. If I ever, and obviously I... I'm not trying to fool nobody. Like, I'm not putting on three-piece suits and, you know, only speaking King, old King James verbiage. Um, but it's like, man, God knows what we're thinking anyways. Like, in essence, when we try to put on some kind of show for people instead of loving like him, 
we're non-verbally communicating that we're, we think we're smarter than the almighty creator of everything seen and unseen. Like if I just say this, or if I just look like this, or if I just sound, then it'll hide from God what's really in my heart. Think about that for a second. Don't laugh out loud, but think about that for a second. We're not fooling anyone. And I believe with every fiber in my body that God is pleased with authenticity. God is pleased with vulnerability. God doesn't desire a relationship with his children and where we feel like we have to hide parts of our lives from him. Just by a show of hands, how many parents in here? How many? Uh, just raise your hand. Good. Awesome. Praise God. Thank you. Yeah. Now, now you guys pray through this and take this with a grain of salt. I just want to ask the question. How many of you guys want relationships with your kids where when they're going through the hardest things in life, they won't come to you? Equally important, how many of us want relationships with our kids that when they're going through the sweetest times in their lives, they don't want to celebrate with us? Like, God is the perfect parent, and he desires for us to run to him in both cases. The life of David is another one of my favorite parts of scripture because David was so honest with his walk with the Lord. I'll be honest with you folks, and man, maybe this gets me removed from eldership at Calvary Corvallis. I don't know, but here we go. When I talk to God, I'm honest. If I'm ticked off, if I'm frustrated, it don't sound like the Bible. I'm going to just leave that there so your imaginations don't run. But I talk to my father in heaven more honest and more open than I talk with my wife. And my wife and I have the most open conversations that I know of in any marriage, by God's grace. Because we don't want to give any room for the devil to be pitting us against each other, for secrets to, to result in bitterness. So we're very open. But as honest as I am with Jess, I'm even more honest with God. If I'm ticked, he knows it. If I'm frustrated, he knows it. If I'm stressed, he knows it. Because I'm not the smartest person in the world, but I'm smart enough to know this. God's not fooled by me. So watch, even try. And I don't know about you guys, but when I run to my dad, he comforts me. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. I don't need to hide from my dad in heaven. And then when things go good, I go tearing into him, all 300 pounds, and we jump in. Dad, check this out. Yo, you let me do this, and then this happened, and now you're doing this, and this is going crazy. Like, this is all you. Thank you. Thank you for letting me be part of it. In my head, it's like a picture of, uh, of a father, you know, assembling a toy, right? And, you know, your kids, especially our four-year-old, she's at that phase where she thinks, you know, she's pretty smart, and she's get-it-done type of personality, right? And I just imagine, like, when I assemble her toys and she's sitting there banging on parts and actually making it harder for me, but out of love, I don't tell her that, right? And she's just like, Daddy, look, I'm getting it too, right? And then we finish it and she can play with the toy. She goes running to her mom with her toy. And she's like, Mommy, look what I made. <laughs> I think of that. That's how our relationship with God is. He builds whatever fruit we, we bear, but then he lets us run around and take joy in it. And I thank God for that type of relationship with him. 
All that to say, he calls us as believers to be an example in conduct, in love, in spirit, and in, in faith and in purity. These are good things for us to think about regularly, whether we just met the Lord last year or we've been walking for him for, with him for decades. These are good reminders to look at. Paul goes on to say, till I come, give attention to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Give attention to reading. These are disciplines we should be practicing daily. You know, I mentioned earlier, I had the honor and the pleasure of being invited back onto the San Diego Christian football coaching staff this past year after about 11 years of not coaching. Uh, really didn't have the time or the bandwidth in my schedule to do it. But this year, the boss, my wife, uh, or I should say second boss, Jesus first boss, wife second boss, the girls are third and fourth boss, and then so on and so forth. But um, Jesus allowed me to go coach. And one of the things I was blessed by, our head coach there, a man uh, by the name of Justin Carley, who attends Jefferson Baptist uh, Church up in Jefferson, he had us as a coaching staff. He explained without going into detail, he just said, this is not your typical coaching gig. We are using football as a platform to disciple these young men. He didn't have to say nothing else. Signed up. Like, discipleship, let's go. And uh, one of the ways that he that he showed that it wasn't just empty talk is that every coaches meeting we'd meet at him and his wife's beautiful home uh, out in the Buena Vista area. And. um, And the first half an hour of every one of those two hour meetings every Sunday. Was covering something he referred to as RPGs. Reading, prayer, gathering, giving and serving. He wanted each coach and I believe there are about eight of us to check in how we had done this past week from the last meeting till this meeting on our daily reading, prayer, giving, gathering, and serving. And at first I was like, wow, we're doing it like this, huh? And then I realized, you know what? Football season, sadly, it didn't end in the championship like we wanted it to, but it ended in November. And still, here we are, January of the new year. Guess what I do every day? (laughs) Reading, prayer, gathering, giving, serving. Every Sunday, I see the group text light up. We all go to different churches. Still checking in. Hey, how do we do? And you know what I realized in that is like, man, that's healthy for us. Regular accountability is healthy for us. Having brothers and sisters that love us. It's not like, uh, you know, uh, just being completely transparent. I was not a good student in school. And it wasn't because I was stupid. It was because I was undisciplined and I didn't care. But it's not like the teacher that's always like bugging you about where are you at? Like, it's not that type of accountability isn't that hard to like check some box of your attendance at church or, you know, so they can get on you about, you know, not being a good enough Christian. Accountability is to encourage one another, to check on one another. Somebody goes off the radar that's not responding for a couple of weeks. You know, something might be up and you can go call them, you know, hey, is everything all right? The heart behind accountability is never legalistic harshness. It's relational care. We need these things. So give our attention to them, as Paul tells Timothy. We got to be in the word. Exhortation. I was told uh, years ago by a pastor on staff at the time I got saved. He said, Jake, you've got the gift of exhortation. I said, Larry, what the heck is that? He goes, huh, how how do I say this to Jake? And he gave me the best definition I've ever heard because it's my language. He said, Jake, exhortation is encouragement on steroids. I was like, all right, I can, I can get down with that. And what I, what I heard him 
in that definition is uh, even more specific is encouraging people to action. That's what exhortation is. And we're all called to do that. Brothers and sisters, if we're not challenging each other, if we're not out of love confronting each other's sins so that we can grow towards Jesus, we're not doing the whole, we're not doing the whole mission. We can't just pick and choose which part of this word we're going to apply to our lives. It's all or nothing. And I admit that's my personality. But it's not just for the personalities that are all or nothing. Everyone who claims Jesus as their Savior and Lord is to follow this completely. So as cool as it is to have everybody like you because you're never the confrontational personality, not love. We have to share the tough stuff in order for each other, for God's glory and each other's good. Paul moves on to say this. Do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given to you by prophecy with laying on the hands of the eldership. Everyone here has a gift. Everyone in this room has a gift. I don't care if your walk is solid and you're just in this joyful part of your life and you're just on cloud nine, praising God everywhere you go, you're singing Caleb songs. I don't care if you're as far away from God as you can get and you don't even know why you're sitting here. There's not one person sitting here that doesn't have a gift. One of the things I love about football, as a football guy, and I'm not ashamed to say that, I love that you can't play football alone. I love that there are 11 different positions on the football field. I love that none of those 11 actually makes the calls. It's the coach. And I love that you need each other. I don't care how much a quarterback gets paid. That dude's worthless if it ain't for the big boys up front. All you quarterbacks, don't forget that. (laughs) The same can be said in the body of Christ. Whether you're a media person, whether you're a greeter, whether you help with the kids, everybody's needed. And verbatim, let me put this in front of you guys, and you guys can take this and pray. During this transition season, everyone is needed. Some of you guys in here haven't been using your gifts. And let me just tell you this. One, if you've been thinking you're not good enough, you're not well, it's not, your gift isn't polished enough, <laughs> they're never fully polished. But you got to step out in faith and use your gift because not only are you hiding what God gave you to bless others with and glorify him with, but you're robbing your teammates. Pastor Tanner's going to need you guys. Maddie's going to need you guys. Nick is going to need you guys. Have you guys ever heard the quote, uh, 20% of the church does 80% of the work? I hate that quote. It shouldn't be true. Every single one of us has a gift. It might look different. It might, one person might be able to spend 20 minutes a week at the church. Another person can spend 20 hours. Neither one is better or less than the other. But whatever you got, give it back to God. If you can teach, grow your gift in teaching. Tell the pastoral staff that you think you have the gift of teaching. Get, your, get, get laid your, the hands of the elders laid on you. And 
One of the devil's best tactics and most effective tactics is going around telling us we're not good enough to be used by God. Because what he does is he takes all 11 players off the football field and he sits you on the bench and then there ain't nobody on the field. And as somebody that's always in the trenches, I'm going to tell you right now, we need more people getting up out of the bleachers and out of the, off the bench and get in the game. God didn't intend this to be no one-man show, five-man show. Every single part of the body functioning in unison, in obedience to God, with love for each other and others. And that's when the church will make a difference. Want to see revival in Albany? Use your gift. I don't care about your past. God can heal it. He died for it. He's forgiven it. The grace and the mercy that are new every morning and that follow us all the days of our lives are there because we need it every day. Stop listening to the devil. Get into your word. Get into fellowship and get active. Get up off the bench. As a coach, there's nothing that hurts my heart more than a guy that's content with being a bench warmer. I just don't understand. And I'll be honest with you guys. I think it's because I hate running. I would never, ever, ever have played sports if I didn't want to play because I don't like to run. Why am I going to go run all those sprints to sit on the freaking bench? I'm going so off course here, but I'm just going to, I'm begging you guys, get off the bench. Use your gifts. If you don't have time, but you got some money by God's grace, you, you, you know, you've been uh, blessed with financial resources, give that way. Heck, if you ain't got no money and you don't think you got no talent and you can talk, pray, but do something. I thank God Almighty that one of the reasons I think he's blessing our church right now, and it's humbling to watch. More than ever before in the 13 years I've been there, there's people stepping out in faith to use their gifts for God's glory and the good of others. Verbatim, Paul said it to Timothy, I'm telling you now, use your gift. Don't neglect it. If you get a chance, read through the parable of the talents. That's not to scare you. It's just an example. God wants to multiply the results of the fruit of our lives for his glory and the good of others. And you'll see why in the minute and how this all plays out in just a minute here as we start to close this passage. Do not neglect the gift that is in you, which is given by prophecy and laying hands of the eldership. Meditate on these things. Give yourself entirely to them that your progress may be evident to all. Brothers and sisters, we're not saved by God's grace. We're not saved to stay still. You know, you don't start school in kindergarten, hoping that 10 years later you'll graduate kindergarten for the 10th time, right? It's interesting to me because it's just in a common sense, practical sense, we don't get into careers to stay still. We don't get into schooling to stay still. If you're ambitious like me and competitive and prideful and and arrogant, um, you don't get into sports to stay still, right? We get into these things in order to mature, to grow and to progress. Do we do that with our faith? Where are you at now? How long has it been since you started with the Lord? Question for you. Are you loving Jesus more and loving like Jesus more than the first time you met him? 
And can I just say this before the devil steps in with condemnation? There are days and there are weeks and there are months even at, at which I'm not in a healthy place. My heart's beat up. I need to repent. I need to sing the songs we sang earlier and mean them with all my heart. I need to cry and ask God and apologize and say, God, take me back to the time I first loved you because I'm not loving you as much as I did back then. We're all guilty of it. So this isn't a a rebuke. This isn't a scolding. You're not getting chastised. I'm just being honest. Like we all go through these things, right? The point is, Paul says, Let your progress be made evident to all. We're supposed to be maturing. As we go from glory to glory, from the day one where we we get saved and we get baptized to the day he takes us home where he comes back, whatever comes first, we're supposed to be made more and more into the image of Jesus. We don't have to wonder how that looks. We read the Gospels and we can see what Jesus was like. He made himself of no likelihood or, or, or likeliness or, or any kind of reputation that no one would notice him. He was a humble man. He was a loving man. I'm amazed reading through the Gospels how many times he did cool stuff because he was turned with compassion towards people. I'll be honest with you guys, as, as the not the most empathetic person naturally in the world, I struggle with compassion sometimes, believe it or not. But I see God changing that, and I feel God changing that. When I drive by something and something's not right, or when he brings something to mind or a hurting family, and I start to cry in the middle of worship and everybody's at and wondering if Jake's okay, I'm fine. I'm just feeling compassion for people that are going through stuff. Let your progress be made evident to all. That goes for all of us, church. We should be on this path. And if we've got off the path, if we've sat down to take a break, if we're sitting still too much, life's been busy, get back on track today. I love it. If we woke up and there's air in our lungs, God's blessed us with another chance to get back up. Any 80s babies in here real quick? Oh, yeah, nice. I was raised on the Rocky movies, hence my hard-headedness. I will not stay down. You're going to have to kill me. I believe that's the resilience God calls us to have with our faith. The devil's going to punch us in the face. Life is going to punch us in the face. The world is going to punch us in the face. Not literally. They know there's legal repercussions for that. But we are called every time we get knocked down to hit the prayer closet, get into God's word, eat the nutrients of the diet that is his word, grab our coach's hand and let him pull us back up off the mat. Keep doing it. Give yourself entirely to them that your progress may be made all. And then the last two verses here as the worship team comes back up. Take heed to yourself and to your doctrine. Continue in them. For in doing this, you will save both yourself and those who hear you. How many of you in here, just by a show of hands again, have people on your heart and people on your mind They could be family. They could be friends. They could be people here in your community that you want to see saved and come to Jesus. Raise your hands. Man, me too. Sorry, forgot. Yeah. By doing these things, Paul tells Timothy, we save, Jesus saves us and Jesus can save them. Those people that we all just raised our hands with in mind, they're not just going to be saved by praying for them. They're not just going to be saved by hoping that God gets a hold of their lives, they're going to be saved by seeing 
how we love. They're going to be saved by feeling how we're loved. Romans chapter 2 tells us it's the kindness of God that leads sinners to repentance. Verbatim, if we love like Jesus loves, people will come to Jesus. Amen? Worship team is going to lead us in in one last song, but I want to ask if we don't mind, if we could just say a quick prayer. And then we're going to participate and partake in, in communion.